Well, good morning. I need to confess something as we start. Knowing last week that we kicked off a four-week series on generosity, I expected a total of six of you here this morning. And so I'm glad you're back. And if you weren't here last week, you're like, oh, if I would have known, I could have helped make that number six true. But we are going to be talking about what it means to live a generous life over the next several weeks. And this is because there aren't many places that teach you how to be generous. And we want to be a church and a people that are good at being generous. It is far easier to learn how to be rich or how to gain more money, but there's not a lot of conversation about how to be generous. And we think that generosity is at the core of what it means to live a Christian life, that you can't be spiritually mature as a follower of Jesus. You can't have your life patterned after Christ and be stingy. Like, it doesn't work because at the core of Christ's life was this abundant generosity, as we'll see in some verses later, like ultimately to the point where he gave his life away. And so we are trying to figure out what does this look like for us? How do we learn how to be better at being generous? And last week, we kind of kicked it all off by talking about the major problem that is connected to generosity. And that's the belief that generosity is ultimately a destination. It's a place that we arrive at, that we'll eventually get to once we navigate some financial hurdles, once we pay off the house, once we move the kids through college, once the investment pays off, or once we sell our business. There's a future reality that once we get to it, then we'll be able to be generous. But the problem is, is that as life goes along and we make more money and gain more money, we also find ourselves spending more money. And so the goalposts move further and further away and further and further away. And so ultimately, we never arrive at the place where we feel safe enough to be generous because there's another place we'd like to be that we're not yet. And once we get there, then we can actually do the thing that we've been waiting to do. And we'll spend our whole lives waiting to be generous unless... We change the way that we think about it. And so this is what we talked about last week. We talked about how generosity is not a destination, but generosity is an orientation. It's not a destination. It's not a place that we get to eventually, but it's a place that we have to start at. And what we talked about was we have to start at a place where we begin to ask God to help us be generous, to shape our hearts and our lives to look like Christ. It's in that place that God's grace comes into our hearts The Holy Spirit starts to work in us, and we're able to begin the process of moving towards greater and greater generosity. Now, today, we're going to be talking about a slightly different but slightly related problem, because ultimately, this is not a series about money. Money is a component of generosity, but we want you to be generous across your time, your talents, and your treasure, not just your financial bank account. That's not the only area we want you to be generous with. Because we all know people who don't have much, but they live an incredibly generous life. They are present. They are available. They give whatever you need. They're always there to help or to serve. They're a generous person independent of their bank account or the dollar amount. And this is ultimately what we want for us because we think it is the better way to live. Now, The other problem that we're going to be talking about this morning is because we think generosity can be a destination, we think that there is a type of life that we have to have to be generous. And we oftentimes connect people who are rich 
with people who are generous. And we say once we are rich, then we can be generous. Or if we can become richer, we'll be able to live a life of generosity. Now, that doesn't mean rich just financially. It could be rich with our time. It could be rich in our uh, profession. We've climbed the ladder high enough that we have a status that's significant enough to be able to teach and to share with others. But while we're climbing, we got to make sure that we stay focused on moving up the ranks. But also, it can be just we need more in some category of our life. Now, studies have been done to measure when someone identifies as rich. And you can kind of Look at the different segments and the different ways that people will begin to identify as rich. And the one thing that it has in common is not the amount of money in the bank account. What it has to do with is do you have more than the people in your life? Study after study has shown that someone doesn't believe they're rich until they are richer than the people around them. So it doesn't matter if you've reached a certain financial milestone, if all of the people in your life are at that same milestone, or if the business deal pays off and you kind of get the big payout, if everybody else in your sphere of influence is at a similar level, you don't feel rich. And that's the big problem is we wait for a feeling of security, of enoughness to begin to be able to act on it. And so One of the things that we have to learn is how you start to act generous before you feel generous. And this is kind of the dynamic and the dilemma that we're going to look at in this passage that Paul is writing to another pastor who's trying to teach his congregation what it looks like to live a generous life. And he's wrestling with it because they're a wealthy congregation. And he says, listen, you've got to teach them that being rich and being wealthy has nothing to do with being generous. And the way that you become generous is by you have to begin to act generously. This is what he says. This comes out of 1 Timothy. He says, teach those who are rich not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches because that's the temptation, right? And you can insert financial, you can insert emotional, relational, professional, with your time, with your energy, with your health. Really, you can substitute the word abundance for the word rich. People who have abundance in some category, right? You're the most popular kid in your school. You're the most well-liked person at your firm. Like, it doesn't matter how you want to measure the category. It's the amount, the enoughness that you possess. He says, listen, take all of the people who have more than enough, And teach them that the danger of trying to acquire more to get to a place where you feel rich, even though it constantly compares you to the other people around you, is that you put all of your hope and your trust in that. And if you think about the way that we live our lives, there is a sense of security that we come, that we gain, or we feel like we gain by having enough in whatever the category is. If I can get enough time margin, then my life will be okay. If I can have enough friends, then my life will be okay. If we can reach a certain financial place, then we'll be okay. And your okayness is connected to an amount, an amount of health, an amount of energy, an amount of relationships, an amount of money. It's always connected to a certain line. But as we've seen, that line is always measured in comparison to the other people around you. And so as other people 
increase their amount, you've got to increase your amount to feel safe and secure in the amount that you have. And guess what? It never ends. Over and around we go. And so Paul's writing. He says, Timothy, tell them, listen, like if you're going to put all of your energy and all of your hope and all of your trust in being rich and on your riches, then rather on God, you're going to end up in disaster. So instead, place your trust in God who provides all of this for our well-being and for our enjoyment. And this is the contrast. This is what they're supposed to do instead. Instead of putting their hope in riches, he says this. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. Here's the antidote to spending your whole life fixed on acquiring more. Get rid of it. Give it away. Share it. There's a better way to live life. And he says, to do good, be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. And this is what happens when you live this way. He says, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that is really life. Now, let me take all of that and condense it into about six words. This is what he's saying, and this is what I want us to hear this morning. The richest life is a generous life. The richest life that you can live is a generous life. Because if you pursue riches, it's always in relationship to others. You'll always need more as other people gain more. And there's no end to that pursuit. And so the richest life that you can live is a generous life. Now, that's probably not a surprise that you're going to hear that message here at church. You're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. So I can just say, let's close in prayer. The band will come out, sing one last song, and then I'll send you home. And it won't move the needle. Because on some level, we know this. And I think the big problem is, okay, great. How? How do we do this? What does this look like? Because there's all these natural obstacles and barriers that prevent us from wanting to give away. Because if we let go, what happens if we needed it? Right? What if we give our time and that was actually not the best way to spend our time because we needed to spend our time in this other place? What if we give our money and then something happens and we, there's always a sense of risk and uncertainty and scarcity that is preventing us from becoming more generous. And so the question this morning is, how? How do we be better at being generous? There's another passage of scripture that I think gives us one little clue. And this is a, the oldest fragment of scripture that we have of the New Testament. And this comes out of a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And liturgies and whole belief systems in the Christian church, in the early Christian church, were framed on this small fragment of scripture. And it talks about who Christ was and how Christ lived his life. And I think it gives us the key for what, is it, what it looks like to begin to live more generously. And this is what Paul says. He says, you must have the same mentality that Christ Jesus had. Now, it's a mentality. Last week was an orientation of the heart. And so the way that this is moving is from our heart 
to our head, the way that we see the world, the way that we understand how life works. And eventually it's going to hit our hands from heart to head to hands. And this is what Paul says. He says you have to have the same mentality that Christ had, the way that he understood how this was all supposed to work, the way that he saw things, the way that he engaged with things. And this is what it says. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. And this is, I think, the natural temptation. This is where it leads us when we put our hopes in what we have. We want to use what we have to get more than what we had before, right? We try to leverage it. We try to compound what we have. So if we have experience, we use our experience to get different positions that allow us to have more experience. If we have money, we try to leverage our money and invest our money wisely to acquire and gain more money because that's, we can trust that path. We know that gets us somewhere. And the mistaken belief we have is that actually gets us where we want to go, and that's not true. And we know it's not true because we all know miserable wealthy people. We know miserable popular people. We know miserable people who have had lots of husbands or wives, right? Because they believe that the acquisition of the next thing is finally going to bring them all that they're looking for. And does it? No. If fame and fortune are the path to the good life, then the people in Hollywood would be the happiest people in the world. Come on, we know that's not true. We know that from our own experience. You look at somebody's life and from these outside metrics of what they have, whether it's status, or whether it's popularity, or whether they're you know, the best athlete on the team, you look at them and you're like, well, if I had what they had, then I would be happy. And if that was true, then why isn't it true for them? Because you look at them and they're not happy. Because they want something that they don't have. They're looking around, looking at somebody else's life. Nobody's happy with what they've got when they're basing their happiness on what they have. And Paul's saying there's a different way. There's a better way to do this. And this is the way that Jesus did it. Because he had a mentality and understood that all that he had, and in Jesus' case was everything, is not to be used to get more. You shouldn't look at your position on the team as something to exploit for yourself. You shouldn't look at your status at your organization or company as something to be leveraged and exploited for yourself. You shouldn't look at all of your wealth financially and think about it as an opportunity to leverage and exploit it and use it for yourself. That doesn't get you anywhere. If we follow Jesus, he does it differently. And this is what it says. It says, rather, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. The literal translation is he poured out his life. He poured out himself. He gave himself away, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And then he ends, and it says, And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, because we have likely heard this before, it's familiar, but this would make no sense upon hearing it for the first time. 
the best way to live your life is to give your life away. That makes no sense. There's nowhere in the world that reinforces that idea. What we're supposed to do, according to the world, is to live our life in such a way where we gain more, whatever the category is. Because the more we have, the more we are. And so if we want to be more than what we are, then we have to get more than what we have. And around and around and around and it goes. And so what Jesus does here is he inverts the whole thing. He says, the way to a better life is to give it away. Your time, your attention, your influence, your presence, your resources, your very life, just to give it away, to empty ourselves. And this is how we learn to be better at being generous, is we look for ways to empty our cups. This is the question that we have to ask ourselves, is how can we empty our cup? You pick the category, financially. Where can you empty your cup? Does that mean you, li- you liquidate everything and you give it all away? No, it's not what it means. But you look for places where you can pour out. And this is the important part to think about because sometimes there's a barrier when we think about emptying our cups because we're not convinced that emptying our cups fills somebody else's cup. But that's not the goal. That's not the measuring stick is, are we able to fill somebody else's cup? It's, how can we give today? How can we empty our cup in this conversation? How can we empty our cup in this relationship? How can we empty our cup with this gift? How can we empty our cup by serving once a month in Grove Kids? I don't always get this right. I have the same tendencies, and my wife and I have the same tendencies that you do. We think about all that we want, that we believe would make us happier, and sometimes we're convinced that, gosh, if we could only have a house in Colorado, we'd be the happiest people in the world. And some of you are like, I have a house in Colorado, I'm not all that happy. And that's the point, right? But this past week, I want to tell you a little something about what we did that was just a way that we tried to empty our cup. Because I don't know how else to give you examples about what this looks like. And so I'm just going to give it to you from my own life. Just know, it doesn't always look this way. And we don't always get it right. And more times than not, we don't. And we look at our balances and our calendars at the end of every month and go, oh, it should be nice to have more. So we fight this same fight. But my wife's birthday was this past week. And I asked her, what did you want for your birthday? And she said, the only thing I want is to go see Caleb. And Caleb is a friend of ours who we met almost a year ago, who was sitting right out here on these front steps early one morning during the middle of the week. And Caleb looked out of place. He had a backpack on and he didn't seem like he was a student at the high school or from here in this area. And so I approached Caleb and we approached Caleb and we introduced ourselves. And it was clear that Caleb didn't have a place to stay. And so we invited Caleb over for breakfast. And we learned a lot about Caleb's life and all of the challenges that he was trying to navigate and face. And that began a relationship that we had with Caleb. And Caleb uh, was homeless and was looking, was always kind of in search of a safe place to stay. And we tried to help him find resources to provide some infrastructure 
for Caleb's life. And we would see Caleb periodically and we'd go to dinner and he'd come to worship services sometimes with us. And then eventually Caleb reconnected with his family in Chicago. And Caleb kind of came to the conclusion that he'd like to move back to Chicago to be reunited with his family. And we thought that was awesome. And so we put Caleb on a plane and sent him back to Chicago. And that was almost nine months ago, nine months ago. And so for my wife's birthday, she's like, I want to go see Caleb. And the reason that she wanted to go see Caleb besides spending time with Caleb is because we made Caleb a promise before Caleb left that we would come visit him and we'd take him to a sporting event. Caleb had never been to a professional sporting event in his life, and he loved sports, and he particularly loved Chicago sports. And so we're like, okay, well, it would be awesome one day if we could do this for Caleb. And so we flew to Chicago this week. It was a 24-hour trip, and we met up with Caleb, and we took him to a Bulls game. They lost in overtime. I was like, come on, God, if you can ever affect the outcome of a sporting event. I don't even care, but just this one game. But here's the cool part, is uh, Caleb, I think, got a little bit poured into his cup. It didn't empty our cups. Like, when we can't fix Caleb's life, but we can pour a little bit out. We can do a little bit. And the cool part about it and the God part about it was some other people that Paige knows found out that he was coming to a, his first NBA event and his first Bulls game and they knew a person who worked at the Bulls game. And so when we showed up about halfway through the first quarter, these people from the Bulls organization showed up with all of these bags of Bulls merchandise and a handwritten note to welcome Caleb to his first basketball game. And nobody had to give away a million dollars. And nobody had to clear their schedule and, or invite, you know, do whatever it may be. It was just this little investment, this little amount that we poured out. And it just, you watched it impact somebody's life. Now, we don't do that all the time. Don't get mistaken. And there are a lot of times where I'm looking up my own NBA tickets, not for somebody else. It's because I want to go to the game. But when we change the way that we think about things, we start to see opportunities that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. Because I promise you, it had been a whole lot easier to walk past the young man sitting on the steps outside of the church early that morning because I had a busy schedule and a lot going on with my life. And we can get so focused on all that we have to do and all that we need and if we could just get a little bit more in whatever way. And you miss the people. And you miss the opportunities to empty your cup. And I think if Jesus did anything better than anything else, is he saw all of the people and all of the opportunities to empty his cup. And in your lives and in your spheres of influence, there are countless opportunities to empty your cup. If you're in school right now, you might have the best opportunity to empty your cup because you encounter people every single day who inviting them to sit with you or helping them study, or encouraging them in a sports scenario. Like, there's no encouragement in school these days, peer-to-peer. So much of it is done between devices, and it's never uplifting, it's never encouraging, and you have the opportunity to do it differently. Adults, it's the same thing. There are opportunities every day, even in your own home, to empty your cup. 
instead of coming in and blowing past your spouse or ignoring your kids because you've got a lot of things to do, what if you just slowed down and just checked in to see if there was an opportunity in that moment to empty your cup? Like, to remind us parents, the way children spell the word love is T-I-M-E. Are we taking advantage of the opportunities, even in our own homes? And then for those of you that own businesses or run businesses or lead teams and organizations, how do you get out of the way and encourage the development and growth of others? Instead of using your team as an opportunity to further your career, how do you double back and empty your cup to promote their development, to their growth, to give them of your time so that they can feel invested in. Same with your friends. You can spend your time criticizing all of the other people who aren't in the conversation at the moment. Or you can do it differently. And you can say, no, we're not going to talk about them like that. And we're going to find ways that we can build each other up, encourage each other. These are just simple examples. But what I hope you hear is it's not just about money. Oftentimes, it rarely is. But it's about giving your life. It's about giving your energy and your attention in the same way that Christ did. Because that's what moves the needle. And what happens is the more that we do this, like a muscle, the easier it gets. The more that we look for opportunities to be generous and act on those opportunities, the more we'll see more opportunities and then we'll act on those opportunities and it's this self-reinforcing, perpetuating cycle where our lives begin to mold and to shape and to change because we are getting so used to looking and finding ways to empty our cup. Author David Brooks in his book, um, The Two Mountains, something like that, something about mountains, some book about mountains. Um, <laughs> it's been a whole lot better if I'd remember that book title. <laughs> Oh, well. Um, did I tell you I went to Chicago this week? <laughs> um, no, this is what David Brooks writes about this, and it's beautiful. So it's a long passage, but don't miss this. He says, when people make generosity a part of their daily routine, they refashion who they are. Their lives change. The interesting thing about your personality, your essence, is that it is not more or less permanent, like your leg bone. Your essence is changeable, like your mind. Every action you take, every thought you have, changes you, even if just a little, making you a little more elevated or a little more degraded. If you do a series of good deeds, the habit of other-centeredness becomes gradually engraved into your life. It becomes easier to do good deeds down the line, self-reinforcing and perpetuating. If you lie or behave callously or cruelly towards someone, your personality degrades, and it's easier for you to do something even worse later on. So we get to choose the types of people that we become. And he ends it this way. He says, The people who radiate a permanent joy have given themselves over to lives of deep, loving commitment. Giving has become their nature, and little by little they have made their souls incandescent. This is the goal, little by little. 
more and more generosity, our souls and lives become incandescent. It's the same idea that the richest life is a generous life. And so my prayer for us is that we begin to see ways that we can empty our cups and live a little bit more like Jesus. Friends, let's pray. Gracious and heavenly God, it was you who first gave to us this life and this opportunity to live life to the fullest through the gift of your son. In the same way that he emptied himself out, Lord, help us to look for ways to empty ourselves out so that we end this life with as luminous and incandescent a life as possible. God, we know that this is only through love and generosity. And so we ask that you do the work in us to help make that so. We pray this in your name. Amen.